And welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And we have another treat for you today. It's going to be a little different. We're actually going to spin the camera around and I'm going to share an interview with you that I did for another podcast. And I really think this interview is important or I really like this interview because I got to speak about not only myself and what I'm doing now, but my past and pay tribute to those who helped me from my grandparents to uh, my parents, my upbringing as a child, my experience as an HBCU student, as well as talking about my family experience now. So hope you'll enjoy this special episode. Thank you, Dr. Lauderdale, for giving me this opportunity. And I hope you're uh, staying tuned with the podcast. There's been a lot of things exciting happening, not only for me, but also for some of my past guests. And I really want to um, share a lot of that with you from webinars that are going on, uh, from special podcasts that are doing, for books that are being produced. So stay tuned. We're going to send out a special email to those that are on the email list. If you're not on the email list, go to my website at Dr. Derek, the sports doctor, and sign up for the email list so you can get the exclusive content when it's available. Because I want to not only share what's going on in my life, but also this podcast community. So I really appreciate my past guests and I really want to help publicize what they're doing. I think I have three authors now uh, releasing books and we have some future guests that are also releasing books um, as well as people that have special webinars going on um, as well as classes coming up. So I wanna make sure that you have all that information, but stay tuned for this episode. Hopefully you enjoy it and be blessed. So were you born in Muscle Shoals? Is that where you so, lived your childhood? Yeah, so born and raised in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Yep. Mm -hmm. So your first podcast episode, your first interview that you oh, did yes. was with your grandfather. Correct. And he told the story of how he grew up on a plantation and the effect that that had on his family, your family. Correct. Um, what it was like to not be able to own property, to basically be living in indentured servitude until he was yes. older and then kind of got out and got a job out in the community that wasn't farming um, right. and how he got involved in civil rights activism and um, went on to earn like a college degree in his 60s. Yeah. So did you have an awareness of that history in your family when you were young? Was that part of the dialogue of the family? Did you... Yes, because my grandfather, and thank you for bringing this up, but he always lived that life as a servant. He was a pastor. Um, he was always involved in the community. You know, he was famous for delivering turkeys for Christmas. He would always be involved with um, NAACP as well as uh, the Dr. Martin Luther King Scholarship Foundation. And so that's something that we were always aware of. And every um, just speaking from a civil rights standpoint, my grandfather is five to six months older than Dr. Martin Luther King. So they are literally from the same era. And he spent a lot of time, not necessarily face to face with them, but in the same circles and doing the same work. And that's something that we were always aware of. And on Dr. Martin Luther King Day, we will always have go to the commemorative marches or rallies, even as children. So we were always aware of the work that he's done. And that inspired us as well. So did that affect what you thought about what you personally could be and do that you think in a way that might have been different than other families? I would say yes, um, in a sense of 
he would always emphasize education, even though, as you learn from his story, that he wasn't able to go far into his formal education mm -hmm. as a child. But like you mentioned, as an adult, because of the emphasis placed on education, he still went back and got his GED and then went back and got his ministerial license. So education was always important. And as a child, he would incentivize us when we get report cards. It might only be, you know, a dollar or whatever, but it was big time to us. And we knew that we could always count on my grandfather to, when we got a good report card, you go to him and you could get payment for that, you know. So <laughs> he always emphasized, and my parents as well, they emphasized education, which is always key. So were there places, though, where when you were growing up, clearly within your family that was encouraged and you were encouraged to live as big a life as you wanted to? Were there places growing up where you had to hide that, where you had to pull back? Yeah, so I would say sometimes being, especially being smart, is not always the popular thing to do, um, mm -hmm. especially as a teenager. Uh, but I think I had a good balance because I played sports. So it wasn't always that I had to hide being smart, even though it was only a small circle of athletes that were in the honors classes or whatever, especially minority athletes in the honor classes. But it was okay because I was an athlete, because sometimes you could get singled out if you were too smart or you think you're mm -hmm. somebody or you think you are whatever. So that it's a fine line that you have to walk, especially in that middle school, high school era, especially being in a high school where we were the minority. Mm. So uh, we talked about this earlier, but, you know, my mission with this podcast is to kind of focus on the ways that Southerners, because there are very particular things about being in the South, the history of the South and the culture of the South, people who feel like in one way or other, in different, and maybe in one certain area of their life, or in many areas, that they mm -hmm. feel like they don't belong, and how belonging can affect our ability to see ourselves clearly, and if we feel like we don't belong in a certain place or with a certain group of people, it can really limit us. So one of those things I think is so helpful for people in those situations is to hear the stories of others who have learned to have the courage to be who they are and how did that sure. happen? So along those lines, how did your family, because I'm, I'm hearing that your family was a place you really belonged with. Right. Uh, you belonged to those people. You could be who you really were. Were there certain ways that they reinforced other than just kind of reinforcing education, but were there ways that they showed you that you belonged? Um, yeah. Um, so one thing is family support. So, my father, who another person who didn't have outside of high school education, didn't have formal education, but he was always present and always a hard worker. And one of the main ways that I think was spending time, he coached our teams um, as far as to make sure that we had a fair shot. He would coach our teams, not because he was mm -hmm. really big into sports, but he wanted us to have a fair chance of having the best of everything. So he would coach our teams. He would be present. My parents would always try to travel with us anytime that we would go on school outings or field trips or, you know, field day, whatever it may be, little things, but they will always try to be present so we would know that they cared for us as a family. So when you graduated from high school and you went to college at Xavier University, right? Correct. In New Correct. Orleans? Mm -hmm. So... A big easy. Did you know that you wanted to be a surgeon? 
At that point, I did. At that point, some, I would say probably about freshman to sophomore year of high school, I decided that I wanted to not only be a doctor but become an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I had the opportunity from an injury in high school to be able to shadow an orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. John Young, which was opened up. That opportunity was opened up because my family physician started us into a mentorship program. There were a couple of guys in my class um, that wanted to go into medicine, so he would bring us to his office after hours. We would sit in the lobby and we would discuss, I can't even remember, but I guess we would talk about, you know, how do you become a doctor? What does that look like as far as testing? Um, and then we would shadow him in his office. And I think that was huge because it opened up a door uh, for me to be able to get in with an orthopedic surgeon as a high school student. And I thought that was very pivotal. And I would always come back during undergraduate, during medical school. I would go spend time in the office. I would go to the operating room. So that early exposure um, allowed me to see that this is something that I, I because I like medicine, I like science, and I like sports, of course. And I thought it was a perfect marriage, even though it's not really as much as I thought it would be. But, you know, it's enough to spark it interest. Never is, which is, right? It never is, right? But sparking that interest is important mm -hmm. in a kid. Mm -hmm. So why sports? Like, what, what was it that, that drew you into sports and ending up kind of making it, you know, a part of a your career. life? Yeah. Uh, so I played sports as long as my parents would allow me, as early as my parents would allow me. I grew up, you know, playing football in the backyard and playing basketball in my yard. And my house was the community meetup for sports. Um, and then we played organized sports. And, you know, the stories my parents would tell, I was coaching before I played because I had an older brother and I would correct him on all the things he would do wrong. But so sports was always a part of growing up in the South, always a part of our lives. And team sports, I feel, are so important to build different things in kids. Responsibility, showing up to practice, uh, teamwork, uh, character building. So I felt like that was always an integral part of my life. It was always something that I enjoyed doing and that I excelled at. So being able to do that for the rest of my life, I always thought that was very interesting. Or to be close to it the rest of my life, I thought was very interesting. Yeah. So when you were growing up in Alabama... Mm -hmm. um, were you in public school? Yes. Yeah. My whole life. I, I've been in public school my, all the way through, I guess, until I went to college and that was yeah. private. Yeah. So when you went from public school in Alabama to Xavier, that was a historically black university, how was that experience different? I and mean, it must have been really, I would imagine, really great in some ways to be around people who are so much more like you in some ways who had shared experiences that maybe your friends in, in school in Alabama, a lot of them hadn't had. Yeah, so 100%. I would say growing up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, I was, I think the racial makeup is about maybe 10 to 12% African-American. My high school graduating class, it was probably out of 125 students, maybe 15 African-American students. And being, as I mentioned before, in honors classes, it was probably three to four students. So you kind of became the token black kid, so to speak, um, in honors classes. So when I got to Xavier to be able to see excellence to the degree that it was present across the board. I mean, no longer was I the token smart kid. I was not even the smart kid. 
Um, so that was eye-opening, and I was able to see people from all walks of life, um, from all different social economic backgrounds, from outside of the United States, from the Caribbean, from Africa, you know, and to be able to see excellence across the board was eye-opening. And it helped with identity, as you mentioned, uh, being able to be, it's okay to be smart as you want to and not be ridiculed. Um, and one of the most popular places to be on Xavier's campus was the library because we knew that if you wanted to get through it, and there were a lot of people, we were the number one uh, undergraduate for getting out African-Americans to medical school and as well as through medical school. So the culture of building black doctors was very prominent and it was okay to be smart. And that was one of the first times that I really was able to identify with that. So you went on to go to medical school mm -hmm. um, at Howard, right? Yes. And that's mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C.? Correct. So what was it like? So this is the first time you really lived outside of the South, right? Yes, yes. Was, what was that like? Yeah, so number one, I always say, tell my parents, I still cannot believe you let me go to New Orleans in the <laughs> late 90s. Um, oh my straight out of high school. So I can yeah. only imagine how many nights of sleep my mom lost. Um, <laughs> but to be able to go to D.C. was just another, I'd say, mm -hmm. mo one of the more predominant places where blacks are in the majority, number one, and achieving at a high level, number two. And Howard University is known as the mecca um, for black HBCUs. Um, they have medical school, dental school, law school, nursing school. Almost all the graduate degrees that you can achieve are on that campus. So being able to be in that environment and then be able to be in an environment that wanted to, you to uh, succeed, because that's not always the role and not always the experience that you'll have trying to achieve what I was going for. So being in a nurturing environment of that nature uh, was an excellent experience for me. And being like you mentioned, being from a cultural, just kind of cultural differences from leaving the South, even though that's still the South, but do not identify as the South, not the yeah. deep South, 100%. Uh, but it was just a great experience for me. And that I spent 10 years in DC. So that's almost like my second home now. So, mm -hmm. so you go back? Yeah, I love to go back. Uh, my, I have a brother that lives in the D.C., suburban D.C. Uh, my wife, actually, we met at Howard. She was from Baltimore. So, yes. Yeah, so, so tell me yeah. more about that. <laughs> so she was in medical. I mean, I was in medical school or finishing medical school, starting my internship in surgery. She was a dental student um, and we met right around the schools. Uh, interesting story. We were in a restaurant. I saw her, but I didn't see her again for a while. And that was right when Facebook was starting up and we, <laughs> we met on Facebook because you had to go to the same school to be able to yeah. connect on Facebook at that point. I remember that. You couldn't yes. get, you couldn't see anybody but the people that were your actual yes. classmates. Yeah. Yep. So you found her. Yeah. And she moved back to the South with you. Had she ever lived in the South? No, if you want a real interview, see? that's the interview that you really need. I bet, yes. yeah. <laughs> I need to put her on my list of yes. people to request. Yeah. No, she's from Baltimore, born and raised, and this was the first time that she lived uh, in the South was when we moved here. Okay. So 
I have heard, and I, I don't agree with this position, I can completely, absolutely understand why going to school with people when you're a minority mm-hmm. and you get to go, you get to see other people like you who are succeeding and who aren't necessarily fulfilling, you know, stereotypes or tropes and how powerful that can be. What did it do for you when you finished there and you came back to the South, back here to Laurel, Mississippi? which is a very different place than Washington, D.C., but probably a lot more similar to where you grew up in Alabama. What was that like, and what did it do for you having had that really positive experience in college and um, medical school? I would say that it gave me confidence to know that I belonged as a physician, um, that I belonged as an orthopedic surgeon, because as you know, life will try you, um, especially in the practice of medicine. Every day is a new day, and every day you can completely second guess even your knowledge and ability to perform. Um, so, being in an environment where I was able to get excellent training um, and able to see other people that look like me excel, it stuck with me and it gave me the ability to be bold, um, it gave me the ability to lead. Um, And those are lessons that I'll never forget. So you're now a team physician for Jackson State University, which is another historically black university. Correct. Tell me how that happened. Yeah. So, you know, when I moved to Laurel and one of the attractive things about moving to Laurel was they had a need for a uh, sports medicine director. I guess I learned how to be a team physician in Laurel, taking care of high school athletes, mm-hmm. uh, taking care of athletes in Jones County and the surrounding areas. And we were able to build a very strong sports medicine program in this area for high school students. And we even have a sports performance program uh, that we were able to build. We were able to raise money so we could help kids that would not necessarily have access to that, um, to be able to give back to the community. So, of course, when you come out You know, I had the opportunity to work with the Cincinnati Bengals during my fellowship. And one of the main things you think team physician, you think in pro sports, Um, but it's much larger than that. And I was able to do a meaningful work in this area because I was able to take care of athletes that might have not had the level of care that I could provide. And I always took pride in that opportunities. When opportunity knocks, you have to be ready. So that's how the Jackson State thing came about. Um, There was an opening and there was a need for help and coverage, and I was able to uh, fill that need. And it was, I mean, the last year of being on the road, especially with Coach Prime being there and the exposure and just being able to be in and out of these major stadiums and dealing with high-level athletes. It's been a great exposure and a great experience. And it would happen in due time. You know, when it happened, I wasn't really even looking for it. I had reached out before, and the time wasn't right. But, you know, in God's time, it's not always our time. But when the opportunity was there, I was able to take full advantage of it. So you still work with high school athletes now? Yes. In your, yes. In your kind of day-to-day yes. practice? Mm-hmm. Have any of them expressed to you like an, an interest in medicine or surgery because of working with you? Yes. Yeah, so I've like been that? able to... Yeah, I've been able to mentor a lot of athletes. And one of the main things, so I'll share with this. Number one, my first person to go all the way through medical school and just matched in ophthalmology 
So I have my first mentee that's completely <laughs> matriculated, and that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. That's uh, really cool. But one thing I do in my office, and one reason that I really started this podcast was because I wanted to be able to share my experiences so others can see that, you know, I believe if you don't aren't able to see it many times, you can't believe it and you won't be able to do it. But I challenge my athletes daily in the office. I said, okay, you came in because your knee is hurting. That's no problem. We'll take care of your knee. But tell me about your ACT score. Tell me about your GPA. You know, you're a junior. What's your plans after high school? And many times you get that blank stare. Or, I haven't really thought about that yet. I'm so, well, we have one year. Uh, and then, you know, once you're 18 and graduated, nobody cares. Okay. Yeah. You have to figure it out this year. So I challenge my athletes. They know that and when they come in, you might get asked about your report card. You might get asked <laughs> about your ACT scores. And you're going to probably get asked about your career plans. And I don't tend to forget. I'll be like, remember you were supposed to retake that ACT? Let's talk about that. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's one major role that I feel being in sports. And this is one of the reasons why I was called to be an orthopedic surgeon and a sports medicine physician is because I get exposure to a lot of minority athletes and I'm able to talk to them and have conversations that maybe they never had before and help hold them to a level of accountability that maybe that no one's ever held them to. Um, so I feel like that's one of the major callings in what I do in my career. That's amazing. What a great story. What a great legacy you're already yeah. already working on and you're still early in your career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I was, so you, you sort of answered a question I had, I was going to ask about, so your podcast called Time Out with the Sports Doctor, Correct. Um, that you, you started it, was it during the pandemic too? Yes. So I launched on um, Father's Day of actually 2021. Mm-hmm. So you focus a lot. I mean, it's about sports in general, but that's not the only topic that you cover. And you cover a lot about, you know, talking about obstacles and overcoming hardship and kind of resilience. So what things have you learned? Because you've talked to a lot of people. You've done a lot of episodes. How many episodes have you done? So I'm on over 90 now. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, you've interviewed a lot of people. And not just athletes, not just doctors. Correct. You've interviewed all sorts of folks, including your grandfather, yes. which is my favorite yes. so far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just love that one. Um, yeah. So, but you've talked to all these people and you've been able to pick their brain. What have you learned from their stories about people who experience difficulty and then overcome it? What do our listeners need to know that you know from hearing all of that? Yeah, so... I would say, number one, the sports is the bait um, because very rarely are we talking about sports, even if I'm talking to an athlete. Uh, one of the main things I say my three pillars are to strengthen your mindset, to help you grow your assets and to help you achieve whatever level of success that you want to achieve for your life. And whatever success means to you, first you have to define it and then you can mm-hmm. achieve it. So I think sports athletes have large platforms. Athletes are able to reach communities that I can't reach even as a physician. And they're able to talk to people and they'll listen. So I think that's one of the main things with sports. Uh, What I've learned from podcasting, number one, is you can learn. If you're open to learn, you can learn from anyone. Uh, Many other people that I interviewed, I say, I'm not really sure what this episode is going to, I'm going to get from it or how this is going to ring with my audience. Those turn out to be some of the best episodes if you're just open to hearing and listening to someone's story and really pulling out 
the things that you want to out of the episodes. Um, and then the other thing is collaboration, the power of collaboration. I've met people, I've interviewed, I'd say probably a third of the people that I've interviewed, I would have had no clue who they were a year and a half ago. And it's by asking you, hey, do you have anyone that you think will fit with my podcast? That's been something that's been very powerful and it's led one to another. And, you know, being able to, as I started last quarter, Money Mondays, because talking about money, even when you're around people that have money, talking about money is a touchy subject. It's very taboo for many. Right. You know, and we don't understand it. Um, You know, once everything kind of slowed down with the pandemic, and I would be able to get into group chats from people that, you know, I went to school with or trained with. And I would start hearing them talking about investing in real estate and things of that nature. And I was like, wow, I have no clue. So I made it a personal uh, challenge to myself to educate myself. And I share a lot of what I've learned in real time on my podcast. So can you think of like one in particular interview you did that just went very differently than you expected in a good way? If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Yeah, let's see. Uh, one of my recent podcast episodes um, with Jeffrey Holst, who is an author, um, he talked about No Bad Days. And I really didn't know how we were going to kind of communicate before, but we talked about going through illness and still keeping a positive outlook on life and being able to, no matter what happens to you, you can control what you can control. I don't know, I might walk out of the house and it's raining, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad day simply because it's bad weather. Or something bad might happen to you this evening, but does that mean it's truly a bad day? Uh, Because something good might have happened to you earlier today. So choosing what you're going to focus on, um, I think, is one of the things that really resonated out of that podcast. And I really didn't know how it was going to go. And that was one one of the best interviews that I say I've had. That was just, just like two or three episodes ago, right? Yeah, that was, that was just a few re- weeks that ago. That was recently. Yeah, yeah. Are there things that you do on a regular basis that you didn't necessarily used to do to kind of make sure that you're staying true to who you are? Your life uh, gets I was, busy and sure, how, do you, sure. how do you do that? So one of, I just recently reviewed Atomic Habits on my uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So... The one of the blessings and curses of being in sports and especially during football season is just so wild and you're always on the go. And the last football season was really fun, but it was really exhausting. So by the end of the year, you know, my wife is a pediatric dentist and we have three children. So by the end of the year, we were both literally crawling into the house, you know, just trying to make it to the break. So at the beginning of the year, I started going through Atomic Habits. Um, And it's really just talking about the small things. So many times I have to just unplug or get back to the basics because the things that reading, devotionals, affirmations, things that keep me grounded and keep me healthy, when you get really busy, sometimes that's the first things to go. So 
really just sticking to those daily habits that got you to where you are. Um, and it's going to take that same level of concentration or more to get you to the level where you want to go to. So I would say don't forget the things that got you where you are. And you always have to keep those a part of your daily routine. And really building strong daily habits is one of the main success points or, or tips that I will give. So how do you stay connected with your your immediate family, like your wife, your kids? What do you do? Yeah, so that's not something that I perfected. But what we do is try to <laughs> uh, make sure have. that we have, yeah, have, try to have guarded time, uh, time in the morning where we come together as a family and we pray before the kids go to school and we do affirmations before the kids go to school. And as much as possible, we try to eat dinner together. That's usually a protected time. Now, one thing when you have people going multiple directions that can fall short sometimes, but we try to come together and eat all at the dinner table, not everybody go to whatever corner they want and eat. <laughs> food, you know. Yeah. So I would say, so are your kids, are your, how, how old are your kids? Yeah, so I have a preteen now, officially a preteen, oh. a 12, 9, and 8. So okay. we're, to the, we're to that point where everybody's got different activities going on from dance to softball to basketball to football. So we're all over with activities to archery. Uh, oh, so, fun. Yeah, One of my so daughter's says archery. She loves it. Yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of different interests, um, and we're just really trying to – allow them to be themselves at the same time while we're holding down professional careers. Yeah. It's a difficult balance. And I think that word balance is almost like it's, it's impossible yeah. to get a perfect balance. It's, <laughs> yeah, always, it's not going to be 50, 50 and some seasons it might be 70, 30, some seasons yeah. it might be, you know, 80, 20, but 50, 50, I'm not sure if that's what we are aiming for to even to yeah. be honest. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What are you doing differently with your kids to teach them that they belong with you, you know, sure. Then you think that, that maybe other people your age, our age, other parents right now may not be doing. What did you learn from your family that you're doing now? That's different. I think one challenge, and we always talk about this. Um, my wife and I is our kids are growing up completely different in a different way. Um, and they're being exposed to so many different things that we did not have access to. So one of the things that I worry about with my kids, honestly, is that that they will lose, not respect, but not have the grind or the hustle mentality that we grew up with. Because we're both first generation physician and dentist. Um, and we didn't have necessarily the fallback that our children will have. So it's always a focus of us to allow them to be exposed, but to let them know that what they're exposed to is not the norm, so to speak. And that yeah. just because you grew up in a home with two physicians, you're privileged in a way, but you cannot expect that. And you cannot expect anyone to give you anything. You still have to earn for yourself. You still have to um, have value or know who you are, number one, but do not feel that just because you have things that other people have that you're better than them. So we always try to keep our ch children grounded. Uh, we want them to know what money is, uh, respect money, know how to make money for yourself. Um, but you're not any better than anyone else simply because your car might be nicer. You get to go on nicer mm -hmm. vacations. Um, so we really try to keep our children grounded. 
um, but at the same time, empower them to know that they can achieve anything uh, that they set their minds to. Yeah. Any thoughts? Anything else? Yeah. So one thing I would share um, is that many times when we see successful people, and I talk about this on my podcast, we see them where they are, but that's not where they started. And many times we might be afraid to approach someone who we deem successful, but trust me, they struggle. I struggle. We all have struggles that we have to overcome. So be able to see someone and respect what they have or respect what they do, what they do, but don't be afraid because we're all humans and we all have struggles. And I encourage people to really um, share some of your failures just as much as you'll share your success. And I think that's one thing about social media. There's many times where people are trying to live up to someone else's standard, even though it's not really real. Um, because many times on social media, people are showing only what they do well at. They don't show what they struggle with. And that's one thing that I tried to, I mean, I failed standardized test. I've not, didn't match the first time in orthopedics. Um, and that's one story that I tell, you know, I could have easily gone a different way, even though I mentioned I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon since high school. When that opportunity or when it came that I didn't match the first time, I could have turned and gone the other direction, but I decided to keep pushing for a goal um, that I set forth uh, to accomplish 15 years prior. Um, so many times you're going to deal with setbacks, but that's not the end of the road. Um, if something is important to you and you want to achieve a certain goal and that's something that you know is for you, then you have to really push forward for it. So um, if I can, I tell people, if I can become a physician, if I can become an orthopedic surgeon, you can too, uh, because I didn't have all the stellar um, grades and, you know, 99th percentile on the test. You know what it takes uh, yeah. to get in some of these specialties. Yeah. I didn't have all that, but I did have work ethic. Um, and that's something that my father taught me uh, was work ethic and not letting anyone do some of the simple things, showing up on time, uh, helping people, doing what you can, volunteering your time. That all counts. And mm -hmm. if you really want something bad enough, you will fight for it. And that's really what my life is about. I remember how much, how much weight people used to give. I mean, still do, but I just remember growing up the impression on me of the weight that would be put on um, a sense of someone's inborn talent right. rather than their persistence um, yes. and their hard work. And then we know now that, inborn talent almost means nothing. <laughs> I mean, it, it means something, but it to almost a certain means extent. nothing. Uh, It'll know, get you it, to a certain level, but it's not going right. to get you to through the finish line. If um, you don't have passion for it and willingness yes. to work and get through times that are difficult. And I think you, you mentioned talking with people who are successful and knowing because you've talked with them, you've talked with them about their story and you know what it looked like to get there. And it was, it's real messy. And it's right. that way for everybody. I noticed, you know, I, as a primary care doctor, talk to a lot, a lot of people about their lives and what their lives have been like. And there is not a single person who skated through. <laughs> um, yes. It's certainly not some, not people who reached any level of success. And there's such a curated experience on social media. Like you mentioned, that's what people want you to see. You can't, like, you really, really need to get to know people who they really are and understand that persistence and passion for things 
means so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say the road to success is usually not a pretty path. You know, mm-hmm. it's dirty. It's lonely at times. Yeah. You know, it can be, you have to fight for it. Uh, many times, especially if you're not born into it, you people are not going to give up power to you, uh, per mm-hmm. se. Um, you have to be willing to go the extra mile sometimes and willing to do an extra amount of work or study later and do what it takes to, to achieve what you want. So yeah. just know that it's not always going to be you know, a bed of roses, so to speak. Mm. Well, I have enjoyed talking to you so much. <laughs> I'm really glad that you, you were able to take some time to talk with me today so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I enjoyed your interview style. You've actually asked me some things that never really been asked before. Oh, good. It makes I'm you so glad. Yeah. yeah not good. just the standard, you know, <laughs> how, tell me about being a physician or things of that nature. Thank you again. All right. Take good to care. Meet you. <laughs> you too. Goodbye. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine is.